Hey, Stefan, back again. Episode three, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Mo? Excited about today. Yeah, man, really got got some heat. Got some heat talking about something that we're both very passionate about, the miseducation of the diaspora. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's an issue, man. It's an issue, and uh, I think based on the title, uh, even, even though we're both Lauren Hill fans, I think we're you, you understand where she and we get the title from. It's based on Carter G. Woodson's 1933 book, The Miseducation of the Negro. And I will say that this book is a cornerstone uh, when it comes to self-education and self-realization for where you are and where you stand in terms of your education in general, what you've been taught and how you're going to need to move forward in becoming educated, especially when you talk about entrepreneurship. We're not educators, but however, we have children that are going to school today and we want to have, you know, answers for it. And so I'm really excited to talk about it. We did some research and and we're going to talk about things that as non-educators and as black parents, we should know and we should uh, um, kind of like take a perspective on how we were raised and things that happened throughout our, our own education, me being raised in Haiti, went to school in Haiti and you being raised here how that worked out for both of us and then the involvement we should be having with our children that our parents may not have had with us growing up. Um, so discussing it and, and see how we can um, create a better world, a better uh, education for our children. We're gonna intertwine, we're gonna move back and forth, not only on the topic and from the standpoint as black fathers, talking about educating our black children about what it means to be black, how what it means to be a contributing member to the diaspora, how important that is, and why so many things have been shaped by the fact that that hasn't necessarily happened in our lifetimes and then moving into their lifetimes. Uh, but you're also going to hear us kind of moving back and forth from the standpoint of childhood education and ongoing self-education. And the reason is, is because we're in the same place as our children. It's really important that you understand and reconcile that for yourself. Your education to this point has been as helpful as their education has been when it comes to the uplift of our people. Mm -hmm. So since that's at the core of everything that we talk about, it's at the core of why we say entrepreneurship isn't a choice. It's at the core of why we say that entrepreneurship is our tool, our weapon in the ongoing war against our people and for our freedom. You have to understand that they're in the same place as you. So it's important that you are both being educated. Mm -hmm. This is why it's important that you're learning so that they can learn while you learn. Right. One way I heard it put um, is that in order to be able to teach, all you need to be able to do is be a chapter ahead, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you want your kids learning what you're learning as you're learning it so that you both can be engaged and have a conversation. And that's a really controversial topic, what to share with your children, what not to share with your children. So we're gonna be sure to discuss that and just give you our perspective on it. And what we're definitely gonna do is invite conversation, invite debate, um, because there's a lot of things that we're gonna say that we know already that people are going to disagree with, mm-hmm. but we know that because people disagree with Carter G. Woodson 80 years ago when he wrote right. this book, 85 years ago right. when he wrote this book. But you're going to see that it's right on the money. And again, we invite that controversy. We invite 
that challenge because this is all about getting better so that we can get to where we all want to go, which is the same place. You know it and we know it. Yeah, this is a topic that I'll be honest, put me in a bad mood because there's there's so much that could have been done better with my personal education and probably with yours too. And Stephon was can, pissed off though. Uh, yeah, I was pissed <laughs> off, man. So, uh, so it may make you feel the same way, too, but that's okay because these are <clears throat> tough conversations. And that's what I love about, you know, just having a podcast, just having a place for us to just talk about these things is really good because these are topics that I probably would just hide from and not even address and keep going with my life. But this makes me ask myself, you know, how can we do better? How can we re-educate ourselves and exactly. therefore educate mm-hmm. our children to be in a better place in the future and to bring something new, to bring something beautiful, truly beautiful and not simply like Mr. Woodson said, it's not simply just an imitation of what someone else is doing. What someone else is doing. Yep. Before we can do better by our children, we must first do better by ourselves. We're adults, so it's not our parents' fault. It's on us if we don't do better by ourselves. And that's the only way that we're gonna do better by our children. Now, why is that important? Your oppressor will never teach you the skills or give you the tools necessary for your uplift. Let it marinate. Gonna, yeah, you need to let that marinate a little bit. And then, and, then, and then we're going to dig into it, you know. Um, your oppressor will never give you the tools necessary for your uplift. And remember the title of this is Miseducation of the Diaspora. So I relate to this being from Haiti as much as you relate to it being from Baton Rouge, yep. Louisiana. Yep. Okay. So this is not something that is specific to America. Okay, we have to always remind ourselves that because sometimes we might say, oh, okay, I'm from Nigeria or I'm from a different place and that doesn't apply to me. Mm-hmm. Most likely, it does. I can promise you that it does. This is this is something that we know is a global issue. We all know that we haven't been given the tools that we would need to be on equal footing or else you would not be listening to this podcast right now. The European colonies in Africa, you know, they knew they were they were coming to an end uh, way before they actually came to an end. Mm-hmm. Although they certain colonies did put up some fight, but all of them, um, especially France and, and England, you know what they did at the moment they realized that they were going to an end? They provided schools, free <clears throat> education yep. to, and if you went to those schools, you were regarded as an educated person. And what they were doing is the brainwashing that started way before the colonies ended. So this concept um, is global. It's not something that is pertinent only to America. So your oppressor will never give you the tools necessary for your let's, let's dig and into that. So that is the overarching message of this episode. And it's really important to understand that in the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, every person that I've ever talked to who has picked up that book, sat down and poured over it, says the same exact thing. And the thing that strikes everyone the most is, man, this was written in the early 30s. I would have swore that somebody wrote this just yesterday. now. Like yesterday. It, it sounds like this just got off the presses. Every single thing within it. First of all, it's very, very well written. Second of all, it's all still so relevant to the point where there's aspects in it that you were like, they were thinking about that in the Un- 30s? Unbelievable. That was happening in the 30s? Yeah. It's that serious. It's. I mean, chapter one was enough. I mean, I started to get a feeling out of that negative feeling, unfortunately, but because because it's true what he was saying after like five minutes of listening to the audiobook, <laughs> and yeah. from the foreword, 
he said something that was very, very important to me. When you control a man's thinking, you don't have to worry about his actions. You don't have to tell him to stand here or to go yonder. He will find his proper place and he will stay in it. You don't need to send him to the back door. He will go without being told. In fact, if there is no back door, he will cut one for his special benefit. His education makes it necessary. Damn, Carter G. Woodson. Yes. <laughs> if there is no back door, he will cut one for his special benefit. His education makes it necessary. Necessary. It is necessary for you as a black man or woman or child to go through the back door. That book was written in 1931. 1931, 1933. And that's it. So when we're talking about the colonies being ended, so in those colonies, they didn't even know, they didn't even hope that countries that were over them were, were going to move away or were going to give them freedom. They didn't even know that at the time. But yeah. they knew that they were going broke. They're going broke. All of these right. countries in Africa, countries in the Caribbean, uh, countries around the world where uh, you know Britain and France gave them their independence. We feel like we've taught these people to the point where they can govern themselves. In fact, yes. when the Congo got its independence in 1960, Patrice Lumumba, mm -hmm. as prime minister, who had led the independence movement mm -hmm. in, in many ways uh, in that country, mm. King Belgium gave a speech where he said, we Belgians came along and pulled the Congolese up out of the darkness mm. where they were savages and backwards. You all were savages and backwards and living in the bush. And we came and pulled you up and gave you education and gave you God. And now look at you. Mm. Today, we celebrate your independence mm. where you are now prepared to handle matters of your own within your own country. So I think it's important that we celebrate the advancements that have come to the Congo. Patrice Lumumba got up right behind that dude mm. and said, let said. us never forget the murder mm. and the exploitation mm. that was visited upon us mm. by these people. By Leopold and II. By Leopold II. Mm -hmm. Just do your history, people. Yeah. Nobody so, knows about him. Nobody Everybody knows. knows about Hitler, though. They do. Yeah. Oh, but they don't realize. So. Again, I'm not trying to compare apples to apples. All I'm trying to say the apple is apple the numbers in the numbers. Mix Hitler the, looks like a choir boy. Hey, the numbers of the European Holocaust pale in comparison to the African Holocaust. Only messed up thing he did. He, he killed white people. That's the only hey, messed up hey, Hitler hey, did. Hey man, he shouldn't have done that. That's hey. You ever notice there's no black serial killers? No. Right? No. Why not? Because I know I know brothers who killed more than one person <laughs> personally. <laughs> They're not considered serial killers because they're killing the wrong people. That's right. As, you know, it's just, yes. it's just, it's all mental. It's all perception. Amen. And so, uh, Patrice Lumumba gave that speech so that his, from day one of their independence, they would always remember what happened to them mm -hmm. and what they had fought for. They worked for their independence. Mm -hmm. They created the political process needed in order for them to ascend into. Uh, into independence and within a week Patrice Lumumba was killed, killed and his body was melted in a vat of acid indeed just to start this off indeed. with a nice light and cheery story about what's yeah, going on like we <laughs> said, I said it from the top this 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 episode will piss you off yes it will yeah <laughs> but that's okay because we need to go there yes so we can come out yes on the other side and so just talking about that concept again every time anybody picks up the book the miseducation of the Negro 
the first thing they want to talk about is how relevant it is. And that's the thing. If you can read a book written 85 years ago and say, man, this is relevant. That means that you knew before reading the book mm. that it was a problem, mm. right? And one of the main things that Carter G. Woodson does a great job of breaking down is the argument and the conversation of classical traditional education for the Negro, for, for black folks versus a practical education for black folks, right? And one thing that we can identify right now in 2019, again, not only the US, not only Haiti, not only the Congo, not only Senegal, not only Ghana, not only Nigeria, right? Mm -hmm. in, in all of these countries, in many aspects and areas, especially depending on what class you're in or where you're at, there's a lack of practical education and training. Yes. And this is across the board, right? So again, there's always a limited availability of the training for people to become workers in these spaces. So even in the countries where there is black manufacturing, there's a limited amount of opportunity for people to learn how to how to participate in those kinds of jobs especially to a level where they can control remember our last episode was all about not only producing but controlling your means of production yes. so there's a lack of education to the point of controlling your production which is really what carter woodson carter g woodson is talking about we are falling behind as a people in our participation in labor in general so whereas it's always been a problem that we haven't controlled our production now we're starting to fall behind and getting jobs now we can't even get jobs where it requires a practical understanding skill or trade that we could potentially master and one day control for ourselves we're not even having the chances for apprenticeship that we once had to learn perhaps under someone who isn't a member of the diaspora so that we can take that knowledge back and and make it a part of our community you know um i think it's very interesting that we turn on the television and we see these fat white dudes rednecks mm. who never swung a hammer talking about well we got the mexicans we got these latinos coming in they're taking all the jobs those are the wrong people complaining about that mm. i've never understood how someone who didn't do the work in the first place mm. is complaining about mexicans taking jobs they're not taking jobs from you homie no they're not right we're being priced out right because of the fact again we're consumers right we're net mm -hmm. consumers our lifestyles and the way that we live and what we expect to have for a living are expensive on purpose, mm. right? And so they're expensive in this country. So we turn to other methods and means to be able to live and to have those types of lifestyles if, if we do want to be working class or middle class, right? Mm -hmm. But what's happening is there aren't enough jobs that will allow us to do that. And the jobs that we had, the majority of our labor pool as black folks, where we were doing skilled labor and trades and things like that, where they were manufacturing jobs for us and things like that, those things have evaporated, number one, due to outsourcing. Mm -hmm. We didn't outsource them because we never controlled them. Yeah. If we would have controlled them, we wouldn't have had to worry about outsourcing. The only outsourcing we might have done was to Africa, mm -hmm. and then half of us would have moved with those jobs. Yep. But now, Happily so. but now we're worried about outsourcing and now we have to worry about folks coming in and taking those jobs. Again, this is what happens when you don't control things, mm. when you don't own things. Mm. We have to worry about people coming in and doing the work for half, half the, the pay, mm -hmm. right? And it's funny because it affects all parts of life, right? A lot of your kids are going to be playing AAU ball this summer. Pay attention to the future of basketball. The NBA just launched an African league. What do you think's happening? Mm. They're like, oh, we can go to Africa. Go mm -hmm. to the source. Yep. All this athleticism, we don't have to pay these dudes as much as we've been paying them. Mm -hmm. We're going to have an African league. Make no mistake, 
China is the biggest consumer of the NBA.、Mm, damn. So if your goal was to send your kid to school on a free scholarship on、yep. basketball, yep. Forget that, huh? Yeah.、Oh, I mean, hey,、man. hey, look, you worried about Mexicans taking jobs? Well, guess what? Africans are going to be taking the basketball. And now I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy for our brothers in the diaspora, right? But understanding that if you're limited, if you're not really willing to go over there in order to keep that hoop dream alive,、mm-hmm. well, then you're going to need to learn some practical skills or something else in another way because even sports is drying up for you. It's just like we had baseball for a little bit after Jackie Robinson. Then what did they do?、Mm-hmm. They bring in another one of our brothers from somewhere else from a different situation.、Mm-hmm. You have Dominicans and Cubans and、mm-hmm. Puerto Ricans. Coming into, into baseball, right? But of course, they're not considered black. You know, they're called Latins. These、right. are the Latin players. Colored people. Yeah, co- colored. Maybe. In those places. But what it really is, is another cheaper form of labor、mm. being moved around. So, what you have to understand is that these people are playing chess on the level of human resources. And this starts with education.、Yes. So, I diverge into the realm of sports to show you that there is nowhere that is safe from the practice. Of these folks making sure that their bottom line is taken care of in the industries that they control. And we'll get back and do that again、oh, later、yeah. on because、oh, we,、yeah. we should not be teaching our kids that sports are important and, and, and relying on scholarship. There, there are other things we're going to be digging into that a little bit more. You're so, so much more, look, your sons,、head. your black boys and, and girls. Are so much more than athletes. <laughs> Sports are games. They're games. Like,、yep. just, just understand that for the sake of your mind, please understand that a sport is a game. game. And I can dunk. So don't even try to come at me with that. <laughs> not, not all the time, but I can dunk.、So. <laughs> you gotta do yoga for one hour. You know, stretch out. You gotta get that hot yoga in, and then I'm, I'm, I'm yamming on food. So, the relevance of the book, The Miseducation of the Negro, I am pumping this book to you. We're pumping this book to you. Please pick it up if you've never read it. I have a feeling that most of the listeners to this show have read that book before. And that's why so many of you guys are already on your entrepreneurial tip because you know what Carter G. Woodson was getting at、uh, in this book. And so this continues when we start to talk about into the system of education. And this is where we really want to move the discussion. So, high level, we understand that we're not being educated in such a way that would allow us to gain control. We're being put into a system. Now, this was in the 30s. Carter G. Woodson is talking about the so called educated Negro. So called educated black folks all over the world going to university, going to college, and studying in order to be placed into the employ of white people, right?、Mm-hmm. And in studying so that they can go to college and work these sort of jobs. And the only thing that they've been taught is soft skills. You go to college to get a liberal education.、Mm-hmm. When you get a liberal education, you are being taught the values of white European philosophy、mm-hmm. and art.、Mm-hmm. And you're being taught the white and European origins of philosophy and which is, art. Which is okay. If your dad is the owner of a particular manufacturing plant, it's okay to go learn some liberal arts. And yeah, and, you and that's. You're gonna have a job. I do. I also think that? that it's okay to learn philosophy and learn the liberal arts. Yes, of course. But I do think that you need to watch how Eurocentric a lot of that education can be.、Mm-hmm. And this is what we're talking about going into the education system. You have to understand that the big issue when we start to talk about production, when we start to talk about ownership, we start talking about poweronomics. The issue is the lack of equality. The lack of equality has to be taught. Mm. Where do people learn、mm. the education system?、Mm. Remember the black doll test in the 50s, right? Whenever、mm-hmm. they would show a black child, a white doll, and a black doll, and the black child would prefer to pay with, play with the white doll, right?、Mm-hmm. We, that proved then that separate、mm-hmm. but equal was not the best system for people of color to learn about themselves,、mm. right? And to grow. But if you think about the concept of separate but equal, you're talking about all black schools、mm. where people are learning. 
to hate themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is what is covered in the miseducation of the Negro. It's the curriculum itself yes. that is teaching and reinforcing yes. dominance, yes. a form of dominance. Not right? the intention. The intention can be good. Like you said, mm -hmm. the, the, you know, in the early years, the missionaries from the north came down to the south and were teaching black kids how to read and about history, bringing the books that they, their ancestors, the white ancestors wrote and whatever. Correct. And so they came with the right intention of educating, but- They're gonna educate the way they were they educated. Were, they were educated. Right, so yeah. they were educated in a way that put white at the top, right? Right. right. Black at the bottom. Right. This is the way that they had learned. Yeah. That would actually regress black people even from the state of slavery, which we'll talk about a little bit because a lot of people don't understand who their ancestors were. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about mm -hmm. both both hemispheres, both hemispheres. Everywhere. A lot of Everywhere. people don't understand how even in the middle of slavery and enslavement, both on the American continents, North and South America, and in Africa, and in Australia, mm -hmm. and in Europe, everywhere that black people were subjugated, they do not understand that those black people in and of themselves were educated before because mm -hmm. there was a time when we did educate ourselves mm -hmm. and that's what we are extolling that's what we are promoting and that's what we are saying we need to get back to so in talking about the educational system and talking about the system that is pushing kids towards these diploma mills right that mm -hmm. we call colleges these days these universities that are just extorting people to get extremely basic educations, right? It's yes. costing more and more money every year yes. to educate uh, a, a child who's graduated from high school. You have to understand that these schools are pushing kids to college where they're not learning any practical or hard skills at all. No. And these students don't even have the systems in place or the resources in place to do that properly. And you were telling me a little bit about that. Yeah, there's fewer than 5% of urban school districts that meet the student to counselor ratio. Fewer than 5%? Fewer than 5%. In the whole United States, it's only 18%. Mm -hmm. So you're saying across the country, only 18% of school districts mm -hmm. have the right ratio right. for counselors, guidance counselors mm -hmm. to students. Yeah. And in black communities, 5%. only 5% of the 5%. schools meet the suggested, I guess the which is Which is about 250 students per one counselor. Wow, which is a lot of that's a students. Lot. That's a lot, anyway. Yeah, it's a lot. So in the in the uh, in the poor neighborhood, you can it's, it's north of two hundred and fifty students per one counselor. So basically, so, so the counselors are burned out. Uh -huh. They can't see everybody. They're short on patience. They don't have time to give you real counseling, mm -hmm. and they have to make do with what they have. So they're doing a good job with what they have. I think in Philadelphia there were some lawsuits by those counselors suing the the school board um, for lack of funding. Right. Yeah. Man. So you have an education system that's pushing people in one singular direction, saying that essentially to be successful in this economy, you need to go to college. You need to go to college. Right. And that system's not even doing that. It's not even doing it. So then what are they doing? When we are being distracted by the current events, which is in USC right now, I think there's an actress that got caught 
paying some Aunt counsel Becky. at USC. On Becky. Yeah. All right. And we are being distracted by that. The the corruption is being done blatantly right in front of us. Right. Um, don't even worry about on Becky. It's right. just, you the know. The corruption impacts your children every day. Every day. Yeah. You know, um, by, by the lack, you know, if your children go into public school, most likely they don't have the guidance they need. To even get to, to college. To, to, to even get to college. Yeah. So if that's not a travesty, mm-hmm. I don't know what is. That's real. What's crazy is this model has been in place all around the world for a while. So let's not act like there weren't universities in Africa. Mm. Similar white land donor Mm. universities, the same system, same type of educational system that you see coming into America after World War II Mm. is the same educational system that you saw going into Africa Mm. after World War II. Coincidentally, when these African countries started to get their education. So like you said, this coincides with, as you mentioned, right before the independence movements, yeah. those Europeans setting up schools. There was a rush. So they could, yeah, yeah. There Russian was a rush to educate building. the children and, and people from those those countries, obviously, they want to send their kids to the good school. Correct. Quote, unquote. And, 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 uh, quote, unquote. And that's where, you know, Mandela. Right. It makes people like Mandela come out. Right, 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 right. I mean, Which, and, 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 yeah. hey, we can agree to, to disagree on him. You well, know, yeah. that's a different topic yes, for a different is. time. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what. Um, this isn't the only shout out my dad's going to get this podcast. I'll never forget. That was this thing that we used to say when we were kids. And we used to we used to do this dap. And at one point in it, we used to say all kind of random shit. And uh, we used to say free Mandela with proof of purchase. Mm. It's deep. I didn't oh, get it. I didn't get now. it until I got it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> marinate on that. Marinate on that. Um, and that's that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's a different topic that's for a different, different time. Yeah. But um, you're talking about a system that, in terms of equality, in terms of what all black people say that they want to have, which is just equality and things like that. When we look at that, we don't have the same power structure that we're saying that we want to have, right? As as our counterparts have. Mm. And the system that is supposed to uh, allow us to work towards that and give us that, allegedly, mm. is broken in and of itself. Mm. Now, so my question becomes, is that system really broken? Or is that system operating exactly the way that it's supposed hmm. to operate? Now, I remember being in, in high mm. school and uh, you know, I was an inquisitive young chap myself in Louisiana, you have the TOPS program, tuition opportunity program for students there in Louisiana, which is if you maintain a certain GPA, if you go to an in-state school, you will get a scholarship, right? And you just have to, once you make it, you have to maintain a certain GPA uh, within college, but your college will be paid for. So I remember earning the right to have this scholarship. Now, I'm not going to say I blew it out the, the water with it because I started getting bored with school very early, but that's on me. And so I earned that scholarship. But when I went to apply and went to get everything straight with my guidance counselor, they denied me. Wow. They denied me without without submitting anything to the office, without, you know, to the state office and fighting for me or anything like that. Mm. They denied me. My application never left my school. Right. Wow. And you got to remember, I went to a, a school that was 90 percent black mm. and with very few other faces. There were a couple of Puerto Rican kids, a couple of Vietnamese kids, a couple of white kids. Right. And I remember watching that one white guidance counselor that we had fight for those white kids. Mm. And I watched one of my buddies get a full scholarship. White kid get a 
full scholarship to Tulane University, mm. which is not easy to do. Now we know. She, now we know how you got it. Yeah, yeah. we know. We I know mean, we know now. It. Yeah. Right? Now well, we I knew do. then. Yeah, yeah, you knew <laughs> then, right? Then, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, how we got it, and that, yeah. and then there were other things. My sister went to that school. She was valedictorian by like a lot, mm. and there was a little white girl in there, and they tried to say that the white girl was the valedictorian, and the white girl had to go into the guidance counselor's office and tell her that no, my sister was actually the valedictorian, that it wasn't fair. Mm. that she had been named valedictorian and this is at a school that's 90 percent black mm, right because who controls the school yeah who runs the school really runs right it. yeah so it makes a difference i just so happen to, to to watch and see happen but i see them taking place on a larger scale For and sure. then again you read a book like miseducation of the negro and it all starts to click and that's when you get people like stefan ra- raging out man this morning at six I was, in the morning six in the morning i was mad <laughs> man i was mad don't talk to me <laughs> Don't talk to me. And by the way, we're going to give that book away. Yes. If you leave just a comment, yes. you're going to enter to win. We're going to buy that book and yes. then you're going to get some, it in the mail. And there's some other opportunities as well. So yeah. we want to get this. We need to get this conversation going. And so, again, like Stefan said, leave comments in YouTube. We're going to give you the opportunity to win a copy of The Miseducation of the Negro. And other it's books. important. And other yeah. books. Yeah. It's important that you have that in that library, though. Yes. Have that in your library. So when yes. the cable guy comes to give you that package upgrade ahead of the NFL season, he'll know what time it is. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we'll, we'll get moving right along. Moving right along. But yeah, uh, moving forward though, this makes you think. What it makes me realize is that if this book is so relevant in between nineteen, the early nineteen thirties, and where we are now, getting into twenty twenty, think about your own education. Hmm. However many years ago that might have been, you might still be being quote unquote formally educated right now. And if you have children or if you plan on having children, think about their education. Mm. Now, if I just explain to you that the system that's been in place since the 30s, the system that was designed to do something that honestly wasn't to our betterment, even that is a failure today. What kind of education do you think your children are receiving on a daily basis? Now, is it failing or is it again right? To do what is it is it doing what it's supposed to do? Yeah, we don't want to go one way or the other yeah, right now. That's but a good we, point. We, we are questioning that. But that's right? the question, right? Yeah, is it coincidence that you know I can relate to it just like you can relate to it? Correct. I, I, again, I, I would love to hear from some of our listeners about what they feel some of the shortcomings in their yeah, education was good one. and how does it compare to their parents please, education right because please. for example i mean there was you know at least my dad grew up him and his brothers and sisters integrated mm. their schools when they were young mm-hmm. down you know down in louisiana so you know at least they grew up and they had shop class auto shop right practical education we, we had yeah. shop they got rid of that yes. they got rid of auto mechanic shop mm. at my school growing up Good thing he taught me how to work on cars, mm-hmm. right? And again, that's importance, man. Look, education, you gotta be participatory in the education of your children. And we'll talk about that. On different levels, right? Yep. And so either way though, we're talking about comparing our own education to the education of our children or future children. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we see holes in our education, in the system itself, and then we see holes in the curriculum. We know that there are holes in the curriculum because you remember opening up that social studies book, that US history book, when you were a kid in 10th grade, when you first learned about it, and you remember that little paragraph that they had about slavery. Guess what? That paragraph's getting shorter. I mean, I took it at face value, though, at the time. I didn't know any better. You know, exactly. as a kid, you just take it like it is. It, exactly. it, it is what it is. And, you, and you're sitting there, you, you're repeating stuff that were just not true. Right. And it's just later on, you realize, oh, man, this was not 
didn't make any sense. And like Carter G. Woodson says, it come, it, it goes across in all classes. In all of your education, I can remember doing uh, English exercises, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, vocabulary exercises and, uh, you know, syntax and literature and um, syntax and writing exercises and things like that. And there would be history lessons. So it would be a story about Benjamin Franklin. Right. It would be a story about Thomas Edison. It would be a story about Abraham Lincoln. It would be a story about George Washington. So they're mm. indoctrinating you with history while they're teaching you something else. It's constant, mm. right? Even in math, before you learn math, you learn about Pythagoras. And then it's not only until later you begin to self-educate and you figure out that everything that Pythagoras knew, he credited Africa for. Right. That's, you know, mm -hmm. again, they don't teach you that they while don't. you're learning it, they don't. right? They, they don't, don't, don't teach you that this stuff was, geometry existed far and, before. And parallel stories too in Haiti as well. Correct. Parallel stories. Same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. So yeah. you're learning, we're learning these, our people are learning these same things the same way across the world. Yes. yes. And yet we're not given a foundation to know who we are. And where we contributed to this, and this is an issue that's been been ongoing, and it's, to be honest, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And and if you don't believe us, just ask your children, ask mm -hmm. a t your ten year old, ask your eleven year old, ask oh, your man. sixteen year old what they know about who they are and where they're from and what they did. And if it's not something that you taught them, I promise you, you're not going to be satisfied with if, the. If answer. you want to find something funny, ask him about Thanksgiving. What that, what that what that means? <laughs> you're gonna have a time yeah. of your life. Yeah, crazy man. This was an issue of Carter Woodson saying to the people, to our people, we need to make sure that we are focused on learning the things that are going to uplift us, right? Well, you got to remember that the 1930s is about 20 years away from the first major pushes towards integration in America, mm -hmm. right? So in a, this is at a time when black people are still just amongst black people. Mm -hmm. So you have the black church. You still have black businesses. You still have black neighborhoods. So there's still a lot more black enterprise and education happening at that point. And there's no one who can argue with that, right? No one can argue that there wasn't more black dollars and more of a black economic existence at that time. Mm -hmm. So now if we live in a time where there's less of that, yeah. right? Yeah. We can say, well, what's the difference between the 30s and now? Well, we know that one, perhaps the biggest social movement in America in between then and now has been integration yes. by far. Yes. And so then the question becomes, what role is integration playing in our uplift? And if education, which is the core of everything, because before you can do anything else, you have to learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. If at the educational level, we see integration accelerating ignorance mm -hmm. to what it means to be black and what it means to buy black and own black, right? If, if we're seeing integration accelerating the ignorance towards that, then there's only one possible conclusion that we can come to. The politics of education is being used to maintain a specific certain social order. Again, this was the issue in the 30s. Mm -hmm. This is the issue today. I said social order. Again, we established in the last episode, we're not really interested in what individuals can do unless that individual is serving as an example for the group. Mm -hmm. A token, no token, has no power. We're talking about power. We're talking about sustainability. We're talking about our survival, people. That's right. And so, when you start to understand that, then you start to understand that education is political in and of itself. Why? Because every country where black people exist, politics manages and governs education. Education is governed from the top. Mm -hmm. You hear things about these curriculums such as uh, Common Core and things like that that the different schools use today. 
those things are determined at the national policy level. Which, in my opinion, is a total disaster for our children. Yes. You know, um, the, 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 it, it's going to be it's such a, a disaster that we're going to one day say, oh, wow, we spent <clears throat> 10 years arguing back and forth about the Common Core. And then look, look at us today. We're not even doing it anymore. Yeah. And, and hopefully. <laughs> but we have a whole generation yeah. that wasted yeah, their time. My child today, she doesn't know that she's wrestling with it, but she's wrestling with it. Right. You know, uh, you have teachers wrestling with it. Some some want to do it. Some don't want to do it. And so, therefore, they're not focusing on, uh, on what works. Yep. This is something that, you know, you brought up. And I like the term, and we're going to get into this, the lack of academic hustle. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So... Parents not saying jack about nothing. Anything about their kids. How is it that, and you can look at the numbers on this, but if you talk to the teachers, you'll hear the same thing. Teachers do not agree with Common Core. They don't like it. They don't believe in it. They honestly don't think it works. Right. But the reality of it is they're using it because they're powerless. And the crazy part about this is that Carter G. Woodson again said that 85 years ago that Mm. teachers have no control over what they teach. Mm. Wow. How is that not a problem? Yeah. I've heard this from my son's teachers. You're hearing this from your daughter's teachers. Right. I don't know why we do this. I don't know why they want us to do right. it this way. But this is the way so we do it. So it seems to me that the participation of the parents is what needed to really become a referee in Correct. this in this whole in this whole thing. But we are staying quiet. We are trusting mm-hmm. or are we being lazy? Uh, we are trusting the <laughs> that the that the schools will get it together, will figure it out. Whereas a lot of schools in different counties, you know, especially in Harris County here in Houston, they are fighting. There's infighting going on. So, you know, leadership is bad. They're going through an investigation. Mm -hmm. So even in the face of that, I don't hear Mm -hmm. parents coming out and taking over this. Because at this point, you have to go into the principal's office Mm -hmm. and demand certain things. uh, Because obviously it's not happening at the district level. And I think that's why it requires the resolve for people to put children first. Mm -hmm. Because again... If it's not happening from the administration level, if it's not happening from the teacher level, right? Well, then who else will be in charge of their of a child's education? The one, that, the one that was supposed to be in charge in the first place, exactly. really, before before the state told you that they could handle that part. Exactly. Now the, the state is failing at doing it, mm-hmm. but that job was never their job to begin with. Right. Education should be done by parents majority of the time that our children spend is with us yeah so at the end of the day we are the ultimate teacher we know our children more than the teacher will ever know i grew up in the 90s in in baton rouge right mm. where is the middle of the crack epidemic i watched the transition happen from when i was a small child to, to where i was older of exactly what crack did to our communities and i believe that this is actually a very American problem, which is the drop off, the decline mm. in the participation of parents in the mm. educational development of their children. Yes. And what I mean by that is, what I, from my perspective, when crack was happening, and like, yo, seriously, I had my parents were one of the few couples where, first of all, they were together. Mm-hmm. the entire time of my education mm-hmm. and second of all neither one of them was on crack mm-hmm. and that was like yeah at my school that was that was not as prevalent as it should have been right, right? Mm-hmm. that was an exception wow just that whole family dynamic that i had so the thing about it is what we've done as a people 
we've allowed crackhead parents mm. to set the new bar. <laughs> Yo, I'm dead. As, 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 it sounds crazy, right? Wow. It sounds silly. Yeah. But crack addicted parents, mm. uneducated parents, mm. whether formerly or currently incarcerated parents, right? So the evisceration of the black family set the new standard, the new bar. As long as I'm doing better than that, mm. I'm doing all right. Mm. So for subsequent generations. It's so it's so true, man. That's the way we are. That's the way the parents are. They're not crackheads. No, and so so if you're not smoking that pipe, <laughs> and if you are, hey man, there's a hotline that you can call. Yeah. Do what you gotta do. Yeah. Get off that rock. But that's not I don't it's think that's a, as a prevalent problem at the same mm. school, your parents would mm. not be the exception to that. That's what I'm saying. Well, I would like to think that. Really? Right? I would like to think that they wouldn't be the exception, but you got to understand too, the dynamics of public schooling has changed. Remember, I told you I went to a 90% black school. Mm. A lot of the people listening to this, if they went to public school in the 70s, 80s, 90s, their populations were similar in their schools. The demographics were a higher ratio talking about black, mm. right? Yeah. The issue is now integration, accelerating and exacerbating these problems, we've all moved away from each other. Sure. So our kids are going to school with more Caucasian, Latino, Asian students, right? Mm -hmm. Which there there are many people who argue that there's benefits to that, right? Yeah. That's not an argument that I'm getting into today. Mm -hmm. But what I will say is just because we aren't together doesn't mean that we're not suffering together. Ah, see see what, what I mean? mean? So to us, because we look we're like, diluted. We are, we are away from each other. Correct. So yeah. we see the white parents. We see the Latino parents and the Asian parents and we say, oh, School's better. Yeah. Overall, we this is a better learning environment for my children because yeah. my son, for example, doesn't go to a school where everybody's parents are fucking crackheads. Right. But the reality of it is, as a collective, we're still going through that. And then again, how many of his his black classmates or black students in general are dealing with parents who are mm. separated or who are drug addicted? Mm. We got different drugs now. Mm. This weed is different. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It's it's different now. It's not cracking alcohol it's and heroin. It's drugs. prescription drugs now. Yeah. The opioids don't come in a needle. Yeah, yeah, that's what right. You mean. The uppers don't come in in rock form. Yeah. It's still here. It's just different. It looks different. Yeah. And not to and not to mention the lack of time that we have to spend because a lot of us now living in the digital age have to take work home. When we talk about working for someone else, again, working within someone else's systems and companies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So if we're doing work from home which wasn't really possible a generation ago. Mm -hmm. How much time do we have, again, to be participatory? Mm -hmm. Workaholics. Mm -hmm. Work is becoming a new drug. Yeah. Because again, like we talked about, consumerism, mm -hmm. being a culture. Yes. So whereas it might've been fast times and good times in the past, now it's just money, Yes. right? It's the new drug. So, so that's the thing. It's about seeing that just because we're separated, just because we're diluted, we are still very much so one unit, one thing. All around the world as Africans, as mm. black folks, we are all one thing, one diaspora, right? And so it's important to kind of broaden this and expand this because I will say that Carter G. Woodson is in the book discussing the kind of development of the miseducation of the Negro coming up out of slavery, right? So he's more so specifically talking about this as an African-American condition or from that perspective, which we do a lot because obviously we are Africans living in America, mm -hmm. but he does make mention that it's a global thing. And I think it's important to, to pull that out and look at that as uh, having an impact, this issue having an impact on the entire diaspora, hence the title, the name of the episode, right? Yeah. In Haiti, you growing up there, 
Were you aware of this at the time? No, was not aware of it at all, man. Um, so it's when we start talking about what were the driving forces in, in my education, my formative years, things that you usually don't think about. Um, for example, who's the publisher of the books that you studied in? Um, the history book, the, the math, all these books. And, and, and it turns out that in Haiti, there's only one name I could come up with. Um, there's only one family that did it. And that family was a French family that was in cohorts with uh, with the uh, Catholic Church, wow. um, which came from uh, French Canada and also from uh, from France. And they got together <clears throat> and they're the one um, that distributed and um, published every single book wow. in the country. One family. One family. Wow. And that was not Haitian until mm -hmm. today. Until today. Man. Okay. So, but these are, but you know, that's not just Haiti. I mean, you know, I would love to see, to hear some comments like who, who were the publisher in your country? <laughs> oh, we know. Hey, everybody who went to public school in the U.S. knows the thugs, McGraw and Hill. Mm. Those thugs that's, published almost every book you ever right. read. In college, in, I had yeah, them. In college. I mean, this yeah. is from, from kindergarten to yeah, college, yeah, right? Yeah, them yeah. and Scholastica. Yeah. Scholastica is mm. the other one. Knowing what I know now. When I see those books, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Like, ugh, man. Yeah. But you you almost don't have a choice. No, well, well, because who else is publishing, is. Right? right? All of these things are rackets. Right. Because everything is industry. When you're in capitalist society, which the world is capitalist, right. all right? When you're in that, everything comes down to industries. Right. And when industries are wholly and completely controlled, then you don't have a choice. Then the, it is. It yeah, does the, become the only normal. thing you have to do is to, is to be to be curators, correct? Those books and not take it at face value. No. Uh, be able having the time to read the book yourself and, mm -hmm. and ask yourself: Should my well, children read this book? Is it in line with what I'm teaching my children? But that's why you have to be a scholar, right? Yeah. In and of yourself, because the books aren't really anything but Wikipedia pages mm -hmm. in print. If you look, those books have bibliographies. Mm. Those books are information pulled from other books that people have written. Mm. And a lot of that stuff's taken out of context, too. Right. So you can actually go back to the sources in those books, or you can find other sources for the same Absolutely. subject matter. So not only they, they control the publishing mm -hmm. uh, of these books, they, they control the content of these books, obviously, but also they control the flow mm -hmm. of how you get the information. What mm -hmm. I mean by that is things you could say, you know, I should know this in my younger years. Mm -hmm. And then there are things you should know in your, in your later years. That's a judgment call. Mm -hmm. And they make those judgments too on what, you should know and win. Yeah. And, 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 and to me, that goes back to the politics of education. H. Rap Brown. H. Mm. Rap Brown gave a powerful speech. I'll be sure to link that on YouTube. Powerful speech about the politics of education, mm. how we learn and what we learn is decided, right? And it's important that you remember that because there's a lot of things that you end up not learning about until your final years yes. in high school or in college that you should have known, especially if you're a black person, especially if you any kind of person of color, mm -hmm. right? Because everything is European. Yes. Everything is from the lens of the European through the majority of your formative years. Psychologists describe this mental mapping. Your interactions with the world determine your psychology. Literally, your mind is being built based on your interactions with the outside world, your conscious mind. And so you are looking through at everything through these European lenses. And that's how you see the world. And that's how you see yourself. And then that gets firmly cemented. Oh, then you can start to learn a little bit more about yourself. Which is, once, which is once the damage is done. Yeah, which is not true. And this is not good for anybody, especially for us, right? Mm -hmm. Because like he said in his book, Carter G. Woodson, he says, you know, 
It's the development of the gifts of each race that must justify its right to exist. Mm. If you cannot uh, step outside and create for your own race, what is your purpose? Otherwise, all you're doing is you are mimicking, you're imitating something that's not yours. I mean, you don't control what you create. Right, yes. You don't have a, a foot, a leg to stand on. Mm. And anybody can knock you down. Yes. And any time that they decide... And all you're going to be doing is, over time, all you're going to do is have posters yep. saying so-and-so invented this, yep. so-and-so invented that. But you, you can never take advantage. Your children will never be able to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's Absolutely. great. Do, do people look at black people and say, man, they invented the air conditioner. Right. Man, they invented the train coupling. No. The carbon filament. Absolutely not. They don't look at us and see these things. The water sprinkler. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's not what people see. People don't see innovators, inventors, artists. They don't see that because of the fact that we don't make them see it. That's right. Right? And we, and we don't own it. It's not we about making yeah, it. We, we don't, don't own, own it. it. We're not using it. We're not doing anything no. with it. Nope. Invented and put there, put up. For everyone then, else. For everyone, yeah, for everyone else, else to use, use and take right. advantage of to their benefit. That's right. And, and that, that unfortunately, has to be something that we look at and start to work on. And we start to talk about how things are taught and the order in which they're taught and the way people kind of matriculate through the educational system. I, I think about a really good lecture uh, that I saw, and it's a really good book that I'm trying to get my hands on. And in fact, this is gonna be one that we're gonna do a giveaway for as well. Uh, the Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys, part one and two by Dr. Juwanza Kunjufu. And this brother lays it down. Now he, the lecture that I saw, he gave in 1987. And just like Carter Woodson's book, it's ridiculously relevant. He's talk, He's the one who really laid down the groundwork for talking about how they are medicating black boys at a higher rate than everyone else, right? How they are uh, deeming black boys to be special education. On top of these behavioral issues they're saying that, that we have and had, all right, is, you know, I was a black boy who came up in the American public education system, mm -hmm. right? Them deeming us to have behavioral issues and being special ed, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing other things that we can directly control as parents, right? So we're seeing this thing where these these kids at, up until the third grade, black boys, and this this holds true to this day, are considered uh, some of the best performers in school mm. as far as grades and academics. They are making the highest marks as a demographic, and there are very real things that we can point out, like uh, you know the absence of fathers in the home, mm. right, and mm. the absence of males in general in education, which is, is something that's so serious. They actually started this program I'm really thankful for uh, in my son's school district. Uh, they started this program called Watchdogs, where fathers uh, are encouraged to come up to the school. And your your daughter's school, the private school, mm -hmm. the Monty School, where she mm -hmm. goes, they, um, they do that, too. They do that as well. Others, they, yeah. they invite fathers in yeah, yeah. to come and participate and be there and encourage yeah. the students because it's been shown clinically that uh, students perform much much higher when they see males right in in the you know what's funny place. though they're always looking at Soraya's mom when, mm -hmm. when i go to those meetings the teacher never looks at me uh -huh. it's almost like i'm just a visitor or something I, i'm not i'm not you know uh it's like the mom is supposed to be the one in charge of, of, education. of education right yeah and that's a problem and that's a big problem <laughs> it's not true at all mm -hmm. especially when you have boys because who who is an expert Right. In that boy. Right. It's the dad. A former boy. Yes, a former right. boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's real. And, uh, you know, this doesn't just extend itself to fathers. 
You got a lot of uncles out there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Grandpa. A lot of big brothers out there. Yes. Right. Hey, man, you got to reach out to these young brothers and to the girls. Yes. And you got to let them know that you care about them learning. Mm-hmm. But you got to also be able and be unafraid to really teach them yourself. Yes. You're not participating in education if you're not educating. Right. Yes. And I think this is important, too, because this is the only place where these kids are going to get something that's really crucial, which is Afrocentricity mm. at a young age. Yeah. There is a severe lack of Afrocentricity. However, Mo, we need to raise our kids to reflect the society where we live in. We cannot be raising them among just black kids. So, we're going to raise them to be in a society where there's white, there's black, there's yellow and all that. So we need to raise them in a place where it's it's it, that reflects our society. Why are you talking about raising our kids among black people? What's wrong with you? Oh, you're, you're right, because our society is working so well right now for black people and for people who look like us that as long as we don't teach our kids that that's a problem and teach them who they are and what they're about, the problem's going to go away, right? <laughs> you're right, man. Why not think of that? Podcast over. But yeah, Come right. Afrocentricity, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, you should just say it five times, ten times to get comfortable with it, <laughs> you know, because it's what needs to happen. Hold it in your hand. Yes. Put it on. Yes. See how it feels. Yes. Yeah. And, and what's in your hand? Blackness. Blackness. Okay. Yes. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, you know, get comfortable with it because um, a Norwegian doesn't have any problem raising his kid or her kid among a bunch of white people. Um, Japanese don't have any problem with it. No. Chinese don't have any problem with it. Not at all. Uh, so why should you have a problem? Why, why should we be the only one that needs to be American? That's a really great question. Why are black people the only people who think that it's not good enough to be, hmm. themselves? Like, to be themselves? Like why is it that black people are the only people who think that their own thinking to think black to do anything black if there's not a if there's not a back door <laughs> we will create we will create a back door <laughs> right so you will, you will find a reason to be like no 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 i don't want to build my own building where i go through the front door right. no no because that building would be horrible what, it would probably I mean, collapse you don't even know why you're doing it you know what you know how i know because a real good building has a back door for black people to yes, go in yes. every time i'm gonna create it i'm gonna create that back door for That's myself right. because i can't be seen at the forefront of it because if i'm at the forefront of it it can't be a real building that's empowerment right here i think i think this is uh that's the core Mm -hmm. of the show here because there's no entrepreneurship uh if you cannot own that word right and 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 put it first so so we're gonna talk about a little bit more and and here's why too let's just i want to i want to touch on that you're making a good point there is no entrepreneurship if you're not willing to embrace that word because other groups are not coming to you for what you have if they have an option. Mm -hmm. If there is an option, people will see you with it and they will turn the fuck around and go find somebody who looks like them Mm -hmm. and will pay more and will get less quality. They don't care. It's not about that. Every day, right? Furthermore, it's important that you embrace that word because your own people have left uneducated about themselves will see you with it and will turn around and walk out the door and go find somebody else. Carter G. Woodson said, no matter how much a black man washes his hands, 
This is in the mind of other black people. Mm. If a black man were to own a restaurant, mm. no matter how many times a black man washes his hand or a woman washes their hands, those hands can never be clean. Mm. And no matter how much a white man soils his hands, mm. they could never be dirty. Never. never. What? What? Mm. It's, it's game. Just pick up the book. I feel like I'm his like manager. Uh, if you're not ready to, uh, if if you're not, not ready, ready man. For it, I mean, if but you know, if you're listening to this uh, up to this point, you ready? Yeah, you okay, ready. ready. And just remember, Germans do not need to assimilate into French culture. No, French do not need to assimilate into German culture. Absolutely. Japanese don't need to assimilate into Chinese. As a matter of fact, going back to the Germans and the French and the Americans, the only time they agree. Those guys, because they always disagree yes, on they everything. Do. The only yes, they do. Who, who said that? Was that, that was James, James Baldwin, Baldwin said that. Yeah, James Baldwin <laughs> said that. That's right. They always disagree. Yeah. But the only thing they agree about. Yeah. Chastising black people is you. Yeah. Right. That's the only thing they agree about. And yeah. you know what's sad? That's about the only thing you agree about. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's the only thing the world agrees on. Absolutely. Man. Is that you know what those black people, man, yeah. they just can't get it together. Yeah, and that's yeah. you think that then your children think that. Why? Because the same education you received, they're receiving right now. And unless you change that thinking within yourself, you they will maintain that same thinking that you have that's right. that they are not good enough right. and for us we're here telling you this because that's not good enough for us nor should it be good and we think we think it's not good enough for you so speaking of what's good for you and where you should be and your ability to teach yourself and learn so that you can teach your children self-education man mm. self-education Big so if we're saying that the issues there are issues that lie in the education that we can receive outside of ourselves and outside of our homes how many of you set out on the path of self-education and were just purely amazed at how different proven information how different that was than what you learned we talk about things like columbus mm-hmm and we talk about things, the whitewashing of history, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you learn about these things, you're like, whoa, this is completely different than what I was taught, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why if you were that amazed by that, imagine all of the other topics and subjects that you don't know anything about. So, you know, forget being misled. There's things that you still need to learn because you should always be learning, always be growing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm telling you this book is going to piss you off, Miseducation of the Negro, if you've never read it. But you got to read it. You got to read it. You're going to realize that you and your child are on the same level educationally. That's frustrating. No, calm down. Say that again, man. All right. Or what do you mean All by right. that? When I say that, because I'm a you, grown person, yeah. they're my children. Right. So how, how can you be? How can they be on the same yeah. level educationally? Right. Right. Well, let's think about it. Your child can be taught how to do anything. Right. There's nothing we talk. We established it as an entrepreneur. There's really nothing that you do that you can't teach your child. Right? Nothing. They just haven't been introduced to the topic. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. But there's topics that your children are being introduced to every day that you haven't been introduced to. Yeah. Right? So they're going to be honest about it. If you're being honest, right? Right. And to be honest, they're learning faster than you ever learned because of technology. Absolutely. Technology rapidly. And because their brain is a sponge right now. You cannot just be reading a book for them them one time. You got to live it. Yep. You know, the self education we're talking about is. You have to be immersed in it. it it, Exactly. Mm. And the reality of it is, we know that there's so much for us to learn in this world. We know the value. I think everybody agrees with that, but but people don't have time. But if you don't have time for that, what do you have time for? Exactly. Understand the ripple effect of your education, how your education sets the bar for the next generation and the next generation. And we're seeing it in our own lives. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You know what we're saying is true. Self education first starts with you washing your brain. You've been brainwashed. Now you got to rewash it and get the bullshit out to start to learn practical things 
learn things that actually apply to you and can be used for you again for the betterment of yourself and for your people as a whole. I'll tell you straight, I think there is no better place to start than the miseducation of the Negro as a starting point. Absolutely. Just for you to you get it in your mind so that you understand, okay, I need to be learning very practical things. I need to be learning not just soft skills like how to talk proper English or Spanish or Mandarin Chinese, right? But also learning very hard skills, whatever trade or skill or service or good that it is that you want to manufacture or give or sell, you need to understand it in and out. That takes time, right? Mm -hmm. Going back to why I think that book is so important is because the first thing you need to do, you need to stop lying to yourself and to your children. Stop lying about everything. 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 And, and when, when we mean everything, we mean everything. Everything. Santa Claus. Yeah. Hey, man, look, we can't, we got to stop this Santa Claus shit. I feel like it'd be real cool if within one generation, black people no longer told their children that there was a Santa Claus, a tooth fairy, a Easter bunny, and shit, y'all need to stop lying about Thanksgiving too. <laughs> like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yo, we, hey, man. And no black Santa Claus either. Hey, that no, shit yes. don't fly. And black Santa Claus ain't cool either. No. I, not down with him no, too, no. either. You know what I'm saying? Uh, because so. that's, that's just lying, right? That's just go back to lying. You're lying to your child. And, and the thing is, we want to teach them. We always tell them not to lie. And always. for some reason, we find a reason to lie to them. I, you know, I don't see the problem saying, you know, hey, you know, this is Christmas. It's a beautiful time. This is the birth of Jesus. We are very happy around this time. We would like to give you lots of gifts to just spread some love and make you happy, my children. And go to the store and get the gifts. Yeah. Or just talk about, you know, hey, this is a holiday. Right. We have time off. Right. It's time for family. There you go. Yeah. You know what I mean? Things yeah. like that. You're right. Yeah. In my family, we very much celebrate all the holidays, but it's family first, man. Like, and that's, that's it's, it's all about family. You don't have to indoctrinate the kids with the lie part. Like, you can have everything you like about Christmas yeah. as long as you don't lie. Yeah. You can have, you can have the tree. The like, spirit can, the, the, the spirit is true. Uh, uh, so, the, you know, the spirit, it can be true without having all this lie, yeah. you know. The yeah. tooth fairy, why, why lie about that? I could never understand why a tooth fairy needs to, to give me money. Hey, and look, man, pay your kids a dollar. I know some of y'all out there leaving quarters under the pillow. Come on. That's right. I told me the other day, hey, daddy, um, I think I'm going to ask tooth fairy for $20. I said, well, I don't think the Tooth Fairy yeah. is good at that kind of money. Yeah. And My she looked at me, how you know how much money the Tooth Fairy's going to give me? What, yeah. What's your business in that? Yeah, you no, no wait, 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 wait. So it wasn't me that started that. It was her mom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, all right, all right, so, all right. Listen, man, we're on the clock, too. All right, we're, we we're, on, the hot, we're on the we hot seat, too. Yeah. Hey, my son believed in Santa Claus up until last Christmas. That shit's dead. Yeah. I'm telling you right yeah. now because... Yeah. Here, here, you have to understand the deeper psychology of things like that. I think that we absorb things as culture, right? We take them and we take them in and we say, okay, well, other people do it, so it must be good enough for my, my kids. My mom right? did it. Yeah, my mom did it. So it must be good enough, you know, for us. You know what my mom used to do? Leave us in a hot car. I'm ratting on you, Diana. Your <laughs> mom, my mom used to leave us in a hot car with a Ziploc bag full of Cheerios. <laughs> And say she'll be right back. She was never right back. Like, <laughs> so, are never right hey, back. They never I'm, right I'm back. gonna get one thing. Hey, come up with a cart full of stuff. Hey, you remember when your mom was walking back from the store? You can see her like right there, and mm. you in the car, and you waiting for her to come to the car, but then she run into somebody she know. <laughs> and so you sitting there, you watching them whole court, oh, and you dying. Man, I'm telling you, man, man my, my mom would have went to jail a few times <laughs> behind us, you know. 
But these days you can't even leave a dog in the car, man. You know, you know these, hey, these, hey, certain people love dogs more than they love children. Yeah, they do. That's another conversation for another time. <laughs> but and we got to keep these lies out. It's okay to be honest with your children about the world as they see it. They're seeing the videos of police brutality because they're all over the news. It's what they're showing. So what happens when your kid asks about that? What are you gonna say, mm. right? How are you gonna explain that one away? You have to start to give them some context, right? For myself growing up, yo, like the older people in my family, right? So my uncles, my uncles kept it real simple. They don't take no shit off of nobody. Mm. Real simple. And they ain't gonna give you no shit. And they ain't gonna give you no shit, right? Yeah. My uncles taught me straight up. Yeah. Uncle break it down to, so you know, them old cats back in the day, they break it down to, so let me tell you about how you deal with them white boys, right? <laughs> straight up. That's, that's how they said, them white boys, you know, they gonna try to do this and that. You, you know, look, don't take no shit, mm. period. I, mm. I got that one young, mm. right? And you know what else I got young? about how to carry myself and how to move because my aunts used to tell me I remember I'll never forget man like my right before I started driving I was probably like 15 you know and it was about that age you mm. about to start rolling around you start practicing in the car mm. my my aunt my tzine aunt Alzina mm. old black southern name that's tzine still owe me some tea cakes man Ooh. and so and she was a you know educator she's an English teacher um, and I'll never forget she told me she said look when you start driving you better watch that speed limit because mm. I don't want to hear about you getting pulled over and getting shot. Now, this was before this was hot. Like, this was before this was all over TV. Before Tra Trayvon, Trayvon Martin. Martin. Yeah, this is before Trayvon Martin. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So we didn't need that. We didn't need the news to tell us what was going on, right? Mm. Because she survived through civil rights and through the movement. She remembers, you know, she grew up sharecropping, cotton picking. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. she already knows what time it is. And she used to tell this was what she told me at that age but i mean i remember being younger than that and her mm. telling me about what they expect a black man to do a, a black mm. boy to do a black man to do what they expect for you and what's waiting now, for you now now you know we talked about this now is that the right thing to do do you do a kid need to really worry about that stuff because we're talking about educating our children we're talking about filling up their brain with good information wouldn't it be better to to, to create a bubble for them while while they are learning so i got a question for you do you worry about it? Honestly, man, um, no, mm -hmm. I don't worry about it. Why? What we're talking about is getting pulled over. Any, any of right? shot. Things like that, right? That sort of thing. I right. got pulled over a few times. Right. I didn't get shot. Right. I didn't get a ticket either. And that's what I'm saying. Just because something is a reality. Right. Doesn't mean you need to worry about it. Right. And that's that's kind of, that's my stance on that. Okay. My stance so, on that is it is it can be a reality. It can right. be a reality that you talk about. Yeah. I'm not saying you need to get graphic with a child. Right. But what I am saying is I I believe that there was a benefit for me understanding that I don't I didn't have any friends outside of my people. Mm. I understood that from a very young age. I like Malcolm X said this best, right? White people, just as an example, can be friendly. Mm. I have friends of other nationalities and ethnicities. Mm. They're friends. That's not family though. Right. And that's not because of me. Right. They don't see me as family. They don't treat me like family. Right. They're friendly, but they don't they are not going to accommodate me beyond the way an acquaintance or a friend accommodates an acquaintance or a friend. I'm saying that because if you know already that you cannot leave outside of your insular community expecting friendship or expecting warmth it doesn't mean that you need to wear a chip on your shoulder 
but it means that you don't go out there expecting people to play nice to you. So by the time I did start to confront racism, I wasn't like these fools that you see here in the comment oh, sections yeah. on, on play just, how could that happen? Oh every God. time, every yeah. time something goes down, people acting like they surprised. They're reacting actually. So do you have a place in society, mm. in your, in, in, in the black society? Do you right. have a place, can you help? Because at the end of the day, what's the point of education? What's the point of learning if you're not gonna go back and learn and bring your people up? Correct, and that's really the whole point, right? Right. When we talk about stop lying to your children, it's you have to create a baseline that is set in the truth for learning for your kids so that they will always seek the truth. Through that truth, if you have any peace or iota or care even an ounce a bit about the uplift of your people, teach your children to care about the uplift of your people. Teach them the situation. How can they know the uplift if they don't know that there's an uplift? And I'm needed? all for that. Yeah, uh -huh. I'm all for that. But mm -hmm. remember in the last podcast we had, we talked about white supremacy doesn't exist. Correct. Right? Correct. White privilege exists. Correct. So what she was uh, warning you about is white supremacy not white privilege. No, she was warning me about interactions with white law enforcement. Right, who are white supremacists. White. Who are pushing an agenda. Who are pushing an agenda as laid out in the law. Right. Right, so what she's describing is my interactions with the law, not speeding, right? Like obeying the speed limit yeah. is codified in the law. Yes. And again, we established that law establishes white privilege. The law, you hear this all the time, right? These dudes, you don't see white dudes not wearing a badge committing these atrocities at the same rate as white dudes wearing a badge, right? Mm. You hear the statement hiding behind the badge, right? Mm -hmm. It's because it's the badge that empowers. Mm. The badge represents the law. The law empowers the, 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 the privilege. Mm. The privilege to crack a black skull. Right. So she was telling me to be careful how I interacted with the law. Right. That's right. what she was really saying, right? right? So you start to understand we have to find our own ways of expressing this. I'm not saying that her words, I'm not saying that it can't be updated, that it can you can't put your own spin on it, but don't lie. Don't act like it doesn't exist. Because right. what will happen is you might have a situation where you have, you know, if you can have somebody like LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton taught America to read from the 70s and 80s. LeVar Burton taught me to read, right, on reading Rainbow, mm -hmm. PBS. Mm -hmm. If he's saying that when he gets pulled over by the police, he's sticking his hands out the window, right? Mm -hmm. How many young black men might still be alive, because we would still have these things happening, might still be alive if they knew how to move and maneuver around law enforcement. Because you have, it's not about right or wrong, right? You got dudes who are, who are, you know, slinging kilos who know how to move around law enforcement. Mm. They know how not to interact with them in such a way that would mess up what they're trying to do. Mm. That's just called being smart. Right. You see what I mean? And, and I'm just using that as an example because right. we're talking about how to interact with society right. in such a way that won't interfere your progress in becoming a contributor to the uplift of your people starts with being honest. 
the kids have to be ingrained with honesty about their situation first. So how much of the child is responsible for this? So you, you are, you're not responsible for where you grew up. My cousin, for example, he grew up in Brooklyn, right? In mm -hmm. Flatbush. But my cousin, sweet guy, you talk to him. Yeah, Eric, cool you know, he's a cool dude, man. 40 years old, you know, great guy. But when he was younger, he got in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. So how, you know, and today you're like, how could he have been in trouble? Eric is just the sweetest guy ever. He, he wouldn't hurt a fly, mm -hmm. but he was getting in trouble a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So you wonder today, uh, who who was at fault? Is it the parents that live in that neighborhood, or mm -hmm. was he was it was it him that 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 was a problem? So was it being you know, uh, being raised in Flatbush and, and we have the bad schools that he didn't choose, being in, around these people that he didn't choose to be around. Mm -hmm. So who at the end of the day is at fault? I'm asking the question because I don't know what the answer is. Mm -hmm. I'm asking you that question. A lot of times we don't, we cannot, the parents cannot make the move. So you're always gonna have kids who find a way to rebel, right? Sometimes you just get little rebels, man. They have a rebellious spirit. However, no matter one, how- One out of two, when you get like a high percentage of people like, you know, dropping out of school uh, mm -hmm. in those areas, is it really the, the rebellion going on or is no, it the No, I mean, there's bigger, there are bigger factors at play. Don't get me wrong, but I believe, and I could be dead wrong. This is just my opinion, right? I believe that if you establish a person's path at a young age, if you tell them this is who you are and this is what you will do at a very young age, they will they might stray for a little bit, right. but they'll get back to it. And, and you're and you and told I'm, me, you I'm, told me yeah. he's a sweet guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I promise you he was raised to be a compassionate kind of I talked to him, I felt it felt like family, right? Yeah, right away. He was raised that way. Right. That was the path that was established for him. So yeah. he might have strayed, but don't don't be too caught up right. in his path, everybody's path winds. You sure, know what I mean? Sure, I, I sure. do think we get a you little. Just, I don't. I just don't think he needed to go to jail a couple of times. Yeah, uh, I agree. As, as you know, as a teenager, yeah. you know, I just don't think. I think that's just that's just a trauma that that could have been. A, I, I mean, I'm I, I'm saying this because I I wasn't raised here, mm -hmm. and I was hearing all that stuff while I was in Haiti, how he was getting in trouble and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So. You know, I guess moving moving around is not as easy as we might, as I might think it is. Sometimes you you just live somewhere and that's right. and the ghetto man, the ghettos is thick. Right. It's thick. It has a it has a gravity about it. Mm. Ghettos all over the world, all over the world, they have a gravity about them mm. because they're a mindset. I always say that the ghetto is a state of mind, right. right? Like I always like to say, there's areas that I grew up in and that I spent time in. We're talking about. Southside Baton Rouge, we're talking about Stylenville Baton Rouge, we're talking about Top, we're talking about North Baton Rouge, we're talking about Third Ward New Orleans, Uptown, mm. like projects, like right there, right? I don't want to stay right next to the projects. Every night we used to have to duck down, right? Wow. Gunshots. I mean, we're talking about 1994, mm. murder capital of the world, New Orleans. We're talking about population 500,000 with 500 murders. Wow type like bad like it was bad at the time right mm. and i remember even with all that going on me not processing that i was in a bad place mm. Mm. Didn't die on you. i it was no i wasn't afraid mm. right i'm mm. afraid whenever like everybody's getting serious and you gotta hit the floor right but i mean if you were just outside and you're a kid you playing and you you know walking across you know walking across the street and things like that you have no perception that you're in an area that is less than until somebody 
tells you mm-hmm. like oh hey this is bad mm-hmm. and then you start to associate it with everything and then honestly you start to associate it with yourself and people who look like you right right and that's when you start to understand what the ghetto is right that's why i say it's a mindset because a lot of places i've seen places that you would think are you know because they're impoverished and whatever and and you might think that they are just like the worst of the worst in reality this is a bunch of old people that live there this is an old black neighborhood you know what i mean and mm-hmm. you you thinking man this is rough over here not really mm-hmm. you know it's a couple knuckleheads you know but it's not really that bad but that mindset takes over right and that mindset is a very hard thing to escape if you don't have someone feeding you with an alternative mm-hmm. Because black people did not create the ghetto. We didn't invent the word, right? right? So if you don't have an alternative coming to you and being presented to you, then you might fall into the kind of a path of least resistance, which is your environment, right? right? This is why I'm so adamant about people telling the truth uh, to their kids as a form of education. And you got to understand that it'll allow you to be freer within your own home. It'll allow you to be able to talk about things and pursue things and live a life that is more lock in step with the true progression of yourself and your own personal development and growth, especially as a member of the African diaspora. And I think it's important too, because it's tough to struggle with the truth. So why not embrace it? Yes. A lot of us as black people struggle with it so much that it drives us crazy. We yeah, can... the truth hurts sometimes truth too. Hurt. So even talking about this, um, this topic, a lot of times it's it's revealing things that were sleeping yes. inside of us, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like taking that that sleeping, take it out, and then analyze it. And that can be really, really hard. And I suspect that's why I do it, and mm-hmm. and that's why some people some people do it. Mm-hmm. Again, you have to understand the psychology of lies and what they do. When you lie to your children, right, by by pairing pleasurable things like Christmas and receiving gifts and the food and the family and the festivity of it all, when you lie to them, you're actually reinforcing the pleasurable nature of a lie, mm-hmm. which allows the construct of bullshit that so many of us get caught up into to be that much stronger because you're saying that it's acceptable and you got to understand that your oppressor all around the world when we're talking about the diaspora your oppressor blatantly lies look at the president of the u.s right now he blatantly lies and all of his supporters and followers are okay with that what why are they okay with it because their parents lied to them Mm. they've been lied to their entire lives and they associate lies with pleasure And if there is someone who is willing to blatantly lie at the drop of a hat, they have been automatically granted paternalistic status in the mind of those who were taught that lies were good. Why? Because their parents lied to them. So if someone's willing to get up there and lie to me to make me feel good, that's my father. It's a means to an end. It's a means to an end. I can follow you. I can listen to you. I can subjugate myself to you because all you want to do is make sure I feel good. And that's more important than you telling me the truth. Yeah. Why do you think you're looking at the world that you're looking at right now? True, 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 true. Because people have been okay with the bullshit and have been okay with lying. And, you know, speaking of education, and especially when we talk about the way that black people are educated, a lot of people 
follow uh, Dr. Umar Johnson. A lot of people, you know, watch his like videos him. and listen to him. I like Umar. I, I think he makes very, very concise points about education. I think he's picked up on the work of Carter G. Woodson, on the work uh, of Dr. Kumjufu. I think he, he has a lot of those points in there, but he also provides uh, modern anecdotal and clinical evidence to show that this problem is still persisting and it's getting worse, right? Mm -hmm. One thing that he once said that I really appreciated, and I believe he was quoting Sun Tzu when he said it, it's for, you know, the art of war, right? Mm -hmm. Umar Johnson once said that the essence of war is deception. Say it again, man. Yeah. The essence of war is deception, mm. right? There would not be war unless people lied. Period. And you have to let that marinate. Think about that. Yeah. What is war? Mm. It is It is two sides in, engaged in conflict, right? The last thing that any one side wants is for the other side to know what it is doing. Therefore, through means of propaganda, through means of misdirection and sleight of hand, one side must deceive the other in order to gain an advantage, so on and so forth, so on and so forth, until the conclusion of the conflict. That is war. War is nothing but deception on a major scale. Mm. So when you allow yourself to be deceived, right, you internalize that deception and you're at war with yourself. So when we start to talk about your children, at peace with the world, at war with yourself, but at peace with the world. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So when we talk about lying to our children, what are we doing? We're deceiving them. You're waging war on them. I know that sounds extreme, mm. but that's why the world you look at when you wake up every day is so extreme. That's you, right? That's you. And you know what, that, what exacerbates this even more, especially living in America, uh, being American parents, is that we don't have the village, unfortunately, to raise, to help us raise our kids. And so therefore, everything they get, all the information they get, 90% of it's coming from us. Yep. So that's the only, we are the only source of information for them. So by lying to them about anything, mm -hmm. something as, 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 as nice as Cinefos, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, or Christmas, you know, even something as simple as that, you're that much more deceiving mm -hmm. growing up in haiti you know when, when they say you know you, you were raised by a village it, it, it's true you know like i saw my mom probably 20 percent of the time yep. during the day I, I didn't see her that much i mm -hmm. saw her in the morning you know she dropped me off at school she picked me up um and i you know when i'm in school obviously i don't see her and pick me up and then drop me off at home i don't see her again mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm with everybody else i'm with my friends 20 percent of the time i'm with i'm eating i'm doing homework I'm doing just different stuff. Mm -hmm. So when my mom tells me something, it's it's just twenty percent, and then the other, the rest of it, the rest eighty percent, I'm getting the same information in different ways from different people mm -hmm. that I interact with. Mm -hmm. So when we in America, when we were lying to our kids, it's that much worse. Yes, there's nothing to diffuse it, right? It's no, nothing for them to we say. We are the only one. So it's not like they're gonna innocently figure out because they were over there, you know by their uncle and aunt's house or something like that. They're like, oh, right. my parents must have been bullshitting. Like, right. okay, they, and they figured it out and it's like, it's cool. And they say, hey, you know, uh, you know, Uncle Sean taught me that there is no Santa Claus. You're like, okay, cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. And then fine, right? It's not happening the same way, mm -hmm. like you said, because there's nobody to defuse them because that village component is going, that's a, that's a good point, man. Yeah. That's a really good point. So I think that it's important moving forward that we understand how important what we say is, mm -hmm. and how important Very what we important. do is. And that's another reason why I think that entrepreneurship is so important because I feel like it allows us to exist in a world where we don't have to fit in to get in. 
Right. We don't have to go along with the bullshit that's being said or being promoted, say, within a corporate workplace or within any workplace where you don't control the means of production. And so you have to go along with people who culturally you do not agree with. There'll be people who, you know, your grandma die mm-hmm. and you go to your grandma's funeral. You're like, oh, it's going to be a week. I got to be there for my aunt. She's, you know, we just got to go through so many things. And mm-hmm. I'm one of the only people who can help with this. You go for a week, you get back. They just already started building a case against you. Yep. They're like, man, you go for a whole week? Let somebody's dog die. Yes. Let a cat die. Oh my God. Yes. Hey, your, your poor black granny didn't get, you didn't get no condolences cards. Right. At all. Right. Right? Man, somebody mm-hmm. cat died. You ought to see the cards that they be getting. And man, look, they come back, the cubicle flooded with cards. <laughs> Oh, we're so sorry about mittens. <laughs> like, I'm like, damn, where was that for grandma? You know what I'm saying? It's not happening, right? Because culturally, it's on a whole nother tip these days. It is. And all I'm trying to tell you is, if you're not paying attention to the signs, or if you're not trying to build your own things, right. right? Built on truth and integrity and the principles that you want to pass on to your children, well, then all that bullshitting that you're doing, that getting in to fit in that you're doing, they're gonna do and it. And that's gonna create frustration down the line. Uh, and, and that frustration, there's nothing you can do about it. You you own it. You know, like not being able to go to the funeral of your grandmother and that sort of thing, that's on you. Yeah. You cannot be frustrated at the And them, exactly. If you know that that's how they are, right? why would you subscribe to that, right? That's just not, that's not the way that you go about living a mature, knowledgeable, wise life for an African man or woman. Right. That's just not how we get down. That's never how we got down. And we don't need to start now because as you can see, we're not getting anything in return for it, right? It's not like things are ultimately better because we are, you know, selling ourselves short and selling ourselves out like that, right? And so again, these are things that we were taught through the educational system. It's things that we learn, you know, watching others, right? Watching other people move through it and, and navigate the world. And we figured, well, we might as well do it too. But if everything went off and if the world shut off right the grid completely fell off i think we figured it out real quick i i feel like black people would be like you know what i need to be around black people mm-hmm. i need to be around my folks That's right. i need to be around people who look like me people who think like me we vibe a similar way because that is going to be key to my survival i'm not trying to promote racial differences or anything like that i'm just saying that our experiences are similar to the point Absolutely. where we would feel comfortable enough to say, you know what? We already know what we want to do. We already know with, with hardly having to speak on it, right? But why would it take that? Why would it take the grid shutting down, mm-hmm. world to go dark? Why mm-hmm. would it take that for us to come together, right? Mm-hmm. That's because we're constantly being bombarded with miseducation up until this day, right? It didn't stop when you graduated. Mm-mm. It happens to this day. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm talking about screen time. Yes. yes, I'm talking about the things that you watch and consume. Yeah, again, I like and that you, oh my God, that's so yeah. creepy to me, Google man. Talk. I'm, yo, listen. My phone every now and then, I'll say something and then my phone will be like, did you say that? I was whispering to Soraya the other day and then she said, uh, why are you whispering, guy? And Alexa said, why are you whispering? <laughs> Damn. That's creepy. Creepy, man. That's creepy to me. Yeah. And like, I'm like, I'm like one of the last people that I know who doesn't have like, you know, Alexa, like Google Home and yeah. like all that stuff, man. Listen. I have it against my will, man. Um, you know, it's getting into everybody's house. They tell you straight up. They'll listen to what you're saying. And we know. I mean, look, hey, look. The cell phone is Come listening on, no, all on, the time. They know where you are. They know. Yeah, she's so, saying that stop. You know, this is saying I'm trying to get on my phone. Talk about 
Oh, are you driving? Why the fuck are you know I'm driving? Let <laughs> me lie. No, right. I'm not driving. Right. Tell you, um, man, Lex is starting to get possessive, boy. Yeah, she Lex, is. Lex she is. is. And, hey, and, 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 and the best is yet to come. So eliminate those distractions. Yeah, How man. do we do that? How do we do that? Because we have like the cell phone, we got the iPad, we got the <clears throat> we got the TV, we got the, the DVD, we got we got, we got all this stuff, right? It's a lot, yeah. So so I heard someone say, and I kind of agree with it, which is you know, the best way to to counter that is to curate. Mm-hmm. all that information mm-hmm. before your children see it mm-hmm. because now it's free for all out there so yep. we need to curate what our children need to be seeing right yep agreed you know that's how all those kids stumbled across that momo shit on youtube where yeah. they were like jumping off of that. houses and stuff like that i haven't looked into the stats i don't know how many of those kids were black but mm-hmm. it was a problem we always joke about going down that wormhole mm-hmm. like <laughs> getting into the weird side of youtube mm-hmm. videos that you didn't even like click on or weren't even trying to watch that's because you're just letting it go yeah. you're letting it roll yeah. and you're not being informed you're not necessarily being educated but you are being entertained and so you have things coming at you in waves even on youtube kids yeah right yeah so for example so I, you know she watches you know the things that are most innocent things you know uh you know, you know uh, girl videos and that sort of thing but from time to time you'll get the weird video that pops in yeah and and even sometimes the one that are that looks innocent if you see that the children are not the age group of your child, mm-hmm. if you don't, she's eight years old. So if you see 15 year old kid, that's what I'm learning with YouTube, most likely it's for 15 year old children. Right. It's even if it's girls in there, it doesn't mean that it's age appropriate for your eight year old. So, you know, so that that's why you, you, I, I'm almost going to the point where she cannot be enjoying it unless I'm watching it with her. Right. Well, I, I, you know, I, I can have a visual on it at all times because you just don't want them to be getting, you know, uh, videos that are not appropriate for them because they're not like, they, they, there's no um, uh, ratings for those to say it's PG-13 or, or whatever rated R. So they, they, they haven't gotten that yet. So therefore we have to be able to curate those things for them. And we have to say, go even one step further and say, you know what, stop watching bullshit on there. Yeah. Uh, if you want to watch the screen, um, you need to be watching this and this and this, and that's it. I, I mean, but, and again, right? That's why we're, we're kind of intertwining this, going back and forth, talking about the education of children and our own education because we have to inform ourselves to do the same thing. Right. We shouldn't be going down any wormholes. We should be in control of what we consume, right? Could you time. imagine a conversation like this when when in the 30s, when Miseducation of the Negro was written? Mm-hmm. And somebody was like, yeah, you know, I was just looking at this, I was reading this, and I just, I didn't know what I was looking at. I just kept doing it anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like that's mindless behavior, It is right? Like that yeah. is ridiculous. Yeah. And we should not be engaging in that. And we for damn sure shouldn't be reinforcing that, that behavior in our children in the next generation, right? Yeah. So, and listen, we're not preaching, right? No, no, no. We're, we're passionate about it, yeah, but we're yeah. not preaching because this is something that we, we go through ourselves. My son is on YouTube way more than I would want him to yeah. be. And now he's a kid who's into educational things, right? But those educational things always veer off into something where I'm like, what, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> you know what I mean? You turn to a black dad real quick when they you do. realize that your child is being influenced, but yeah. that's because you didn't design and decide what it is that you want your child to be consuming because you don't do it for yourself. And I think there's some simple things that we can do. I'm not saying they're going to be easy, but I think there's some simple things that we can do in order for us to be making sure that we're consuming true education from people who have the best interest of teaching in mind. 
right? Teaching the truth. Um, and especially when those people look like us. And, and my thing is with a lot of this mindless consuming of media, the problem is we don't own a lot of these outlets. I don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to call anybody out. I've seen those Nigerian series on uh, on YouTube where right. people watch those things. There's a couple of Haitian ones too. Mm-hmm. Where there's people making those little dramas and stuff, those little hood dramas and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I mean, look, I get it. You're producing something that has been shown to sell that people are into. And those guys get a lot of clicks and a lot of views, right? It's mm-hmm. not my bag, right? right? Because it doesn't teach me anything. But at the same time, at least that's produced by black people. Right, right. So at least if, if you had an excuse, you can say, well, hey, look, black people produce it. So you can at least say I'm supporting, right? Mm-hmm. I'm at least supporting the brother, right? right? But I mean, a lot of this stuff is in no way built by us. And a lot of it does nothing but to promote and further advertise black exploitation. Yeah, and you look at the show like Love and Hip Hop, you know, you see nothing but black people in there. However, when you look at the producers, they're all white. Yes. Yeah. What was the name? Stefan um, Springman. Springman and, and Toby, Toby Barrow. Those are the producers. Of Love and Hip Hop. Well, yeah, the Love and Hip Hop series. Right. Right. All those different cities, New York, Miami, Atlanta. Two Jewish dudes produce those Love and Hip Hop shows. Mm-hmm. And these are shows that they're written to be very captive. Right. Now, imagine if you took that same talent. Right. Mm-hmm and use that to write some things that can captivate people for positive reasons. And I'm saying those same writers could be hired to do that, but instead the money moves a certain way. That's why I think it's really important to try to control the kind of the kind of images that you're taking in. And it's easy to pick on loving hip hop and shows like that, the Real Housewives and all that, because that's that's soft target. That's easy target. We're just using as an example. I mean, we're talking about sports. Goes back to what we were saying at the top of the podcast. Sports are a game. Now, of the major sports in America, and if we can expand this and we can get into the football clubs of different countries and things like that, how many of those have majority black ownership groups? Almost zero. This yeah. is a, the world over. Hey, you don't think, hey, they watch hella soccer yes. in Africa and in South America, but how many black people really control those teams? Mm-hmm. You see that you see the Premier League, you see UEFA and things like that, right? There are African soccer leagues but they don't have the prestige right. that the other ones do, right? They're not making that global money mm-hmm. that you see the other ones doing, right? Even though they have talented uh, football players that eventually end up in those other leagues. Mm-hmm. They, they're essentially a farm system. And, and it's not to get into that. The point is saying we don't have an ownership interest in the major sports around the world, yet we have such a large consumer base for them. Mm-hmm. And, and yet we are producing the talent for them, except we don't actually drive them in the way that we could or should. And so what that says is for us, it really doesn't amount to much other than a sport. And we see what happens when you have guys who step up and take an activist-like stance on things, right? We see mm-hmm. how they're out. treated. You know, we, we talk about the Kaepernick's, right? And we, while the NBA is a little different, and you might have a guy like LeBron who's doing amazing things, talking about education, what LeBron James has used the sports platform to do is amazing. And I'm hoping that that serves as an example, right? That you don't have to be singularly great at something the way that he is, just head and shoulders above better than everyone else at that sport. Hopefully you don't have to be that dominant in order to get to a point where they can't tell you what to say and what you want to do outside of that field of play or that arena or that sport. And for us who, you know, didn't follow that hoop dream, who didn't, you know, make it to the gridiron to see glory every any given Sunday, I think 
you need to take a step back and look at what you're doing with your time. You're dedicating three and a half hours, sometimes six, nine hours on a whole day, just sitting back and watching and giving all of your attention to this. Again, what message are you sending to your kids? It's one thing to send your kids to, to play a sport for enjoyment and potentially to make some money and then make social change. That's a whole different matter, right? That's something else. But are you teaching your children to do that? Or are you teaching them how to sit on their ass for nine hours, 12 hours right. and stare at a screen? And you know the other part too is 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 making sports uh, one of those uh, uh, prime things that we make our children think that that's the only thing they can do. Right? Like how many parents out there are, are training their kids to become a good baseball player or become a good football player? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not for the enjoyment of the sport, but to actually be to actually get a scholarship and to use it for something. Look, I'm not just coming down on the black father, the black no. mother, right on parents, because how many schools? promote athletics over academics. You walk into a school, you look at the trophy case, it's all football and basketball. Where's the debate team trophies right. in those hallways? Where, you know, where are the, yeah. a lot of schools, especially in our communities, don't celebrate that. Right. You know, athletes are big man on campus, but the brainiacs, they, you know, low man on the totem pole, yes. right? When they should be exalted, they should be lifted up and supported because those are the people who are actually gonna make a better community. And besides, you're showing these kids to worship athletes. You're showing these kids to worship people who do, you know, something that honestly, you know, they can hope and they can aspire and put their whole life's energy into maybe one day doing that thing where, where a lot of people don't make it, but you know, why don't you instead show them what you do? Mm. Why don't you instead show them <laughs> your grind on a day-to-day -day basis? You know what Say I mean? Say that again. Say that again. Like why? Absolutely. Why is it that the guy who can catch the ball or throw the ball is the is the idol? Why is he the role model? You're Absolutely. just as good as that dude. Why doesn't your kid know what you do? Right. And why can't your kid explain what you do to somebody else? Mostly because most people work for someone else, and you can't bring your kid to work every day, so right. they don't see what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. They don't understand the grind. But our kids, for example, with us being entrepreneurs, our kids are employees of ours like our kids have done right. work absolutely for us and with us and right I've seen have gone you know it's visible my girlfriend's kid said you know you don't do anything all you do is stay on the phone mm -hmm. and talk on the phone but whose fault is that that was you know my girlfriend's fault you know like why doesn't he know the hustle that you have right, to put up right, with. Right, right. So either way, I think if you have your own business, you can explain to them and they can be more involved mm -hmm. with the activities going on. But if you work somewhere, they, they should be able to understand what you do. Yep. I'm not saying be able to do your job for you, but be able to know what you do and, and therefore not later on saying you don't do anything. Right. Do you think that a little bit of that comes into people not being proud of what they do? Could be. You know? Could be. But I, I, I really think it's... Uh, 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 they they don't give the kids enough uh, enough credit. Right, right, right. To, to think, think that's that they what could is. understand. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, what what is a mortgage? What is a loan? But they live in a house. Right. Yeah, of course, they right. they would understand it if right. you break it down for them. Yeah. They understand it now. I make sure that happened. Right. You that, know. That's true. You got to put that work in. I think there's nothing that you're doing that your kid can't look at and say, this is an honorable profession. If they can't say it's an honorable profession, then you don't need to be doing it. Right. right so, right. so, I mean, it's just one of those things where it's just like, hey, why don't you let them in on what you're doing so they can see where you utilize the knowledge that you do have and that you use to make a living and provide for them. Why can't they see where it's important to hold on to that? Like you have teenage kids asking, why are they doing algebra? Right. If you don't know that by then, and I, like you know, something as simple as algebra, if right. a kid is like fourteen by the time that they and they're asking like, why do I? I have can to understand learn if you're eight years old, you, yeah. you you asking you know why am I doing algebra? Why am right. I doing geometry? At this point, if you don't know why you're doing it, well, there's a lot of questions that you didn't answer for them when they were younger. Right. And I think part of it is because we are you know not sheltering them, but we are not telling them 
Right. Well, because you don't need to know Pythagorean theorem in order to watch Real Housewives, you know? So it's just, there is no practical application for these kids when, again, that goes back to Carter G. Woodson's argument in the first place, which is where's the practical education for the Negro? Mm. Where's the education that is most practical for him to apply, him or her, to apply it to their lives yeah. in order to be contributing members to their society. If right? it's not practical for you, maybe come back to what you're saying. If, yeah, it, yeah. if you're not applying in your life. Uh, again, if that's the example you said of you sitting on your ass. And getting the check. Right. So you're why, wasting time. Why would a kid look at the things that they're learning and have any value? So then we see this and then we start to see kids become disinterested right. and start to come to become distracted. Yeah, because they see that even, even what you're doing is a waste of time. So what's even the point of going to school? You went to school and this is what you're doing mm -hmm. you you want you want, you know so so it's like you know we never teach our kids you know what wh what we do yeah you know um for example like you know i'm really bad with math you know like uh, uh be able to count things in my head mm -hmm. um really quickly uh, uh my mom was really good with that you know she used to own a bakery shop mm -hmm. and uh, and you know so the people that buy the, the bread from her you know pay her with like cents and 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 and, and uh, a very small change. Mm -hmm. That's how they buy, you know, bread individually. So when she comes home, she comes home with like this bag of money full of like little dimes and nickels and things like that. And what she had to do is she had to like count it, you know, and she had to count it with, with she had no calculator whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And she was doing her accounting every, I remember every Saturday, she would, just, the table was just full of change and she would just count it with a pen and paper. And it was amazing and, and yet, that's something that she could have taught me and then but instead she relied on the school system to teach me that she didn't think that was important for her to but um i would like my kid to say i don't want to be in the moving business because of this and this and this and knows why not because of just the negative things but because of the whole they you understand know, how it works yeah it works them. and they can say you know i'd rather do this right you know and i'm okay with that too it's not about telling them what you do so they can do what you do it's about telling them so they can have a full understanding of work and then after that you can evolve into introducing them to other people and introduce them to other careers mm -hmm. other industries and we have to start that early and i think that's really important it's like you can show them what you do and show them that there are other people similarly minded right like you who mm -hmm. are concentrating and focusing on lifting up your people and, and owning things having ownership so that you can have some so black true. privilege so right true. like we talked about so true. Um, so true and so just showing them that so that you don't have to be the hero you don't have to be right. the person they look up to but they can look up to someone and know that you have the same mindset as them right? right and so that that further solidifies that and then of course it gives them an opportunity to learn a hard skill to master something, the time to learn it from a young age, so that by the time they are ready to strike out on their own, they are prepared for success, you mm -hmm. know? And it just makes me think about the concept of this word you mentioned, scholarship, right? Mm -hmm. It's interesting in our, you know, in our <laughs> capitalist mindset, and this is, again, this is becoming global, right? Yeah. We look at a scholarship as money, right? right? Like a scholarship is money to go somewhere mm -hmm. and to study. Right. Not understanding that scholarship is simply the state of mind of being a scholar, right? Yeah. To focus on yeah. scholarly pursuits, right? right? And all a monetary scholarship is, is a way of buying time right. for you to be a scholar. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that shit is so, it's so ironic. Lost. It's so lost. Because the that, way, yeah. That definition is, is lost. It's lost. Yeah, it's of, foreign of to me too, yeah. man. I, I, scholarship is a designation. Right. It's a designation to say you are engaged in your scholarship. You are mm. in the middle of your studies, right? Mm. And the truth of it is, scholarship is free as fuck, right? right? Like, <laughs> like scholarship does not cost money. Right. It costs time. Yes. yes. You see? Yes. And so you will put a monetary value on it. 
Mm. Whenever everything in your life, especially your time, can be bought. Mm. But the reality of it is, if you truly value what it is that you're gonna do in life, you have to take the time to learn a skill. And you know something, man, for us, we have to understand that as black folks, as members of the diaspora, we have regressed from slavery. That's Now that's my next plain statement. Ooh. We've regressed from slavery. Yeah. Well, how can you say that, Moses? You're a damn idiot if you think that, Moses. No, look at your history. That's not Go what Obama look. said. That's not what Brian Stevenson right. said. No. Apparently, we have evolved. When we think about slavery, a lot of times, it's like, think about like slavery as if that's the beginning of Correct. black people, as if there was nothing before slavery. We were created. Yeah. And in the beginning, there were whips and chains. Like, yeah. no, nah, yeah. man, like yeah. we have an entire history yeah. and rich heritage that goes so far beyond that, mm. that you have to ask yourself the question, why West African slaves? And there's all these reasons that, oh, because yeah. the Indians weren't built to handle the hard work. Right, and right, and right. they were just more, black people were more suited to work in the sun and, and the fields and stuff. Wrong. Black people were skilled laborers. Mm. Black people, Africans, had knowledge which had been transported across Africa, mm. right? From the great pyramid building civilizations, mm. from the great stone structure building civilizations in again. East Africa and in the interior of Africa. You had the great civilizations, the Songhai Empire, the Benin Empire mm. of West Africa, these cities that had been built, cities that had been lit with torches, right? So lit streets, right? Mm. Running water. Mm. All of these things have been established in Africa. You think that knowledge went away right before slavery? Mm. You think we had a dark ages? That's not what we do. Right. This is our dark ages. Yeah. We're here. Yes. We're looking at it. This is Africa's dark ages, right? So what you need to understand is at the time of slavery, the reason it was so important, right? You hear people say all the time, well, we built this country. Black people built this country. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. We were engineers, architects, skilled laborers, mm. and we've lost that because instead of passing those educational traditions on, those trade traditions on, mm -hmm. we put it in the hands of our oppressors. We put it in the hands of the government mm -hmm. to say, hey, we want to participate in this society, but we've been stripped of the practice of passing on the knowledge of carpentry mm. and of masonry right. and all these things, right? And so not only have we lost those very physical pursuits, but when we start to talk about scholarship, there's proof that we've lost that as well. I'm reminded of the story of Omar Ibn Said, a Muslim slave. So mm. a lot of people in a very substantial percentage of the slaves from West Africa were actually scholars. Mm. And a large percentage of them were Muslims as well, right? right? Just interestingly enough. And everybody knows how important the pursuit of scholarship is in Islam. It is very promoted that you need to learn, constantly be learning, right? right. And so Omar Ibn Said was uh, a West African, believed to be from Senegal, who was captured in his 40s, in about his 40s. And he was brought over to America. And uh, he was when he got here, obviously he was being mistreated because he's a slave and they seen him as a savage and things like that. So he tried to escape. They threw him in jail. When he was in jail, he began writing on the walls in perfect Arabic. Mm. Everybody thought, right, the common sense belief was that black people were illiterate and savages and ignorant, had no history and all of these things, right? Again, justification for white privilege and slave status and all this and that, right? So they were amazed by this dude, he, you know, so uh, he was taken in by the governor of North Carolina, right? He was a slave for the governor of North Carolina. He would eventually write a memoir that talked about his life, where he described his scholarship in which he traveled the world. This is a West African slave who was captured, mm -hmm. had traveled the world, right. and had studied for 26 years. Right. 
right? That concept of scholarship. So when we talk about entrepreneurship and moving into the education of an entrepreneur and what you need to have, that your education, right, has to at least get back to the level that we were at in slavery. Omar ibn right? Said. Omar ibn Said. Yes. Can you get back to brother Omar's level, mm. right? Yes. Where you were a scholar first. Yes. Think about that. You're not even fit to be a slave. You haven't even studied. You are, you're not even skilled. You're not fit to be a slave. And that's why you're starting to see the lack of jobs and you're starting to see the lack of these. Fuck you, Mo. <laughs> you're welcome. You're well. I, yeah, you weren't as pissed I'm off as you were. I'm not talking to you anymore. You weren't as pissed off as you were at six in the morning. I got you back at that level. Yes, you did. And so because it, because again, you got to think about it. Can we at least be skilled enough to be slaves? Can we at least do that? Wow. You think you resisting by not having skills? You think you doing something by not being able to build something for yourself? You can't even build something for nobody else. That's why they replacing you with computers and robots. And look, you're not even catching up with that. You're being replaced by other people, right? All around the world, because you don't control the means of production to make sure that you're all right. You don't control the means of production to make sure that you can't be replaced. They took your knowledge and they stripped you of it. And then they took mm -hmm. you, they threw you out. You're being discarded by the people who you are relying on to give you what you need to survive. Mm -hmm. This is why entrepreneurship yep. and control of production is must. so important. It's, it's a, a must. must. Because nobody's looking out for you but you. And you ain't doing that because you don't know how to do that, right? So what you gotta understand is if you're not willing to take the step of just sitting your ass down and studying, studying. Talib Kweli once said, sometimes brothers going to jail be a blessing in disguise. Because that's where they get to study. They get to study. That's sad. They got to go to jail to study. That's sad. Come on, man. Yeah. You telling me they got to strip you of your all of your freedom, the little bit of, of quasi freedom you have. You got to be stripped of the last bit of that for you to say, you know what? I need to sit my ass down and read a book. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I need to study. And so I need many to of our learn. leaders do say that. Yes. Kwame Ture. Yeah. That's what that's what he said too, man. He said when I was involved with uh, with uh, uh, you know the Black Panther, we had a lot of brothers who can you know pick up a gun and go kill someone. But we didn't have enough that knew how to, to sit down, sit down and read books. Be still. Right. right. If you're not engaged in physical conflict, you have the ability to sit down. Look, I, I know you want to get to the money. Yes. I know we all want to get to the money. But that's not what entrepreneurship is about. Mm -hmm. It's about doing it on your own terms. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding how you're going to use the money to build something much bigger. And the only way you're going to be able to do that, to differentiate yourself and get something that is great, is by having a knowledge that nobody else has. Yes. Or knowledge that is scarce. Spe again, specialized, specialized knowledge. Right. Right. Have specialized skills. If if your great 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 grandfather the slave and grandmother the slaves, come on, man. Why you think we was out there planting and picking? You think we're the only people who can pick? No, because we're the only people who can plant. Mm. We're the only people who know how to do these things, how to mm. grow tobacco and corn and cotton, and understand it in such a way to where it's plug and play. Amen. They pick you up, they put you out there, and they just tell you, do what you do. Wow. And we're going to eat off of you. Wow. Right? So now Amen. what we're saying is we need to learn this again so we can do it for ourselves. That's it. Amen. That's And that's what we're talking about with this education thing, right? This is why this is so important when it comes to entrepreneurship, because these first three episodes simply represent us trying to set the groundwork for what the rest of what this podcast is about. The rest of this podcast, every episode is about practical knowledge. We are trying to lay down the blueprint. We're going to show you how to create and craft the blueprint. This is requiring a great amount of study and research from us. 
telling you we're doing the hours. This is our scholarship. This podcast represents our own scholarship. Mm -hmm. So we invite you to get on board. We want you to discuss because we want it to be a forum. We want it to be a classroom. This is the way that schools were taught in Africa, in the Mm -hmm. round, Mm -hmm. out here in the field, getting it right while you're learning we're, we're learning together so you see it growing in the process and you can contribute to our knowledge and vice versa but the first thing we're going to do is lay out the blueprint for you the second thing we're going to teach you how to do is to build the environment so the blueprint for the business once the business is built we're going to show you how to build the environment around that business and ecosystem. ecosystem yes an ecosystem for your business to thrive around other businesses that are owned by people who look by you and once you do that then you're ready to get into that black belt power level. That's when we're talking about building a true, sustainable, protected, autonomous merchant class that looks out and sustains for the economic and educational interest of our people. And therefore create our 1%. And you know what's cool about this too? Uh, the idea of having a guest speaker after we finish with one series mm-hmm. of let's say the blueprint. Yep. And then we're going to have our, our guest speaker coming in. Throughout time, we're going to be able to find and locate brothers and sisters out there that are doing this kind of things that right. we're talking about talking right. about the blueprint talking about how to find capital how to find you know the ideas and all the details that go into that and find a guest speaker to talk to us right and i can't wait for it man it's fun man it's, it's all going to be fun and that's the thing right there's a lot of people right now lined up who want to be guests on the podcast and so what we have to do first is lay out where we are because you never know we want those people the guests and the listeners to know how we're coming and where we're coming from and so we're going to have these series these blueprint series these ecosystem series these merchant class series we're going to have these laid out so that you can go into them clicking and learn what you need to learn you can pass it on so that we can build this thing up together in real time and in the future and if anybody should try to take it from us we're going to make sure that we control it to a point that we get it to y'all because we feel that it's that important go back Listen to each one of these episodes so that you can always constantly be reminded about how important this whole entrepreneurship thing is. So we're going to document our scholarship as we go along in the form of these podcast episodes. And that way you can use our scholarship to build on your own scholarship because we love y'all. That's right. That's That's it. That's all we're doing. All right. So, all right, y'all, we're about to sign off again. Be sure to leave comments in the comment section on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe so we can start these conversations. And by simply leaving a comment, you can say whatever it is that you want to say in that comment section. It's open territory for our discussion by leaving a comment. That's your chance to win a book. We'll send it to you in the mail. As long as you help us get those discussions started, we'll send you Miseducation of the Negro. We'll send you Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys. Parts yes. one and two. Yes. Like, comment, listen, share. Any activity you do on our YouTube page, you enter to be awarded one of those things. Yes, yes. All right. All right, people. Again, we love y'all. We signing off. Take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs>